Hi everyone, this is Corey. Welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if you're interested in learning more about any of the stories I'm about to discuss, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org where you will find links to all of today's stories. Now let's jump in with our first story of the week, what LGBT folks think about our health. A national study led by Marcella Boynton found that LGBT people view HIV as being the community's most significant health issue, with about one in four making that selection. So, you know, quite a bit of diversity in response because only, you know, one in four, that was that was the highest um, issue that was taken. And so, you know, three out of four people had a different selection, but HIV was the, the most selected um, option. Very few people identified um, a bunch of areas that were uh, really important for disparities. Things like smoking, cancer, and uh, hate crimes, for example. Very few people identified those as being their the, kind of the biggest problem for LGBT health, and, and those things are all huge. Meanwhile, 4.2% of LGBT folks didn't think that the community had any health differences compared to non-LGBT people, um, which I wish was the case, but unfortunately it is not. Next up, LGBT rights in flux. The New York Times reported on the Supreme Court's ruling that existing civil rights laws that ban sex-based discrimination uh, at work also include um, a ban on LGBT-based discrimination. So in other words, sexual orientation and gender identity are included under the definition of sex uh, in existing civil rights laws that protect people at work. This news, um, which is a great landmark case, uh, it came just days after the Department of Health and Human Services eliminated similar protections in healthcare, um, and that was done by an administrative uh, rule that the Obama administration had put into place with regard to uh, Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act. Um, the Trump administration decided to get rid of those protections, and those were especially strong for transgender individuals. Now, there's no direct connection between these two, so the Supreme Court decision doesn't undo the Trump administration's actions, but it will definitely complicate it, and uh, I'm sure that the Trump um, action was already going to get challenged in court. Um, that always happens with big decisions like this, and uh, now advocates will be able to say that, you know, based on what the Supreme Court said on civil rights law for um, workplace issues, it, it, the same thing applies to, to Section 50, 57 of the Affordable Care Act, which also said, you know, you can't discriminate based on sex and health care. And that's what the Obama administration used to also protect trans people in particular. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things in flux right now. Um, and uh, it, it'll probably take a while to see exactly how far the... Um, the ramifications of the Supreme Court decision will go. But right away, we know that, you know, in terms of, of just thinking about health issues, huge mental health issue to go to work every day with the stress of knowing that you could get fired for being who you are, um, or if people find out about your identity. So huge mental health benefit to LGBT people being able to work without being in fear anymore of that happening. Um, also, healthcare access. Employment in the U.S. is the number one way of gaining access to health insurance. So being fired from your job you know, for, for your identity, um, it means losing your health insurance in many cases here in the U.S. So um, already, you know, there, there's a big health connection between the Supreme Court's decision, decision um, and that could, you know, grow even beyond that um, if it ends up 
coming into play with, uh, with the healthcare discrimination law. In our next story, HIV experts call out racism. A group of HIV organizations published an op-ed explaining how racism underlies the HIV epidemic in America, noting that nearly half of new HIV diagnoses are among black individuals. They say that for the HIV epidemic to be successfully addressed, reforms are needed to address forms of systemic racism that are embedded in the justice system and that impede on the wellness of people of color. Next up, substance use disparities persist. Paz Magazine reported on new research finding that sexual minorities aged 50 plus are more likely than their heterosexual peers to use various forms of drugs for non-medical reasons. LGB adults were more than twice as likely as their peers to use opioids or marijuana, and more than three times as likely to use prescription tranquilizers for non-medical reasons, and all of this suggests that the LGBT, um, or LGB specifically, drug use disparities that we see um, with youth and earlier in life continue throughout the age span, and that those, you know, don't don't kind of go away as people, um, you know, perhaps come out and maybe um, adjust, gain more acceptance, find an accepting community. We might think that these disparities will kind of disappear over time, but this new research shows that they, in fact, do not. And our next story... Being out makes a difference for healthcare workers. The Advocate published an op-ed on why it's important for healthcare workers to feel safe coming out at work, especially during stressful times such as the present pandemic. The author says that it's critical for workers to be there to support one another, to check in with them, ask about their spouse, their family, their partner, and to share their hopes and concerns about the future, and that you can't really do any of that when you're hiding a huge part of who you are. The care for oneself and one community um, is is really important now more than ever for people who are working in the pandemic. And, you know, this ties in with the uh, Supreme Court decision that I um, mentioned about, you know, being um, free to come out at work without worrying about getting fired. And I think it goes beyond just, you know, not getting fired for that reason. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I, I work on these issues, and, you know, changing the law is really important, but we also have to change culture, and it might be the law that you, you know, can't get fired or be demoted or, or that kind of thing because, that you know, you're LGBT. But another thing is knowing that, you know, you can talk about your same-sex partner or talk about being trans and that your coworkers aren't going to look in the other direction or roll their eyes or, or make a remark. Um, and so the cultural change um, is is really important too. And I think that that's what this article really, really speaks to. Um, and of course, being in this moment of, of crisis and stress and, and overtime and facing health risks for, for these workers, you know, it, it just really makes it seem all the more urgent that we have that kind of supportive culture in our workplaces. And in our final story of the week, guidelines for studying puberty suppression. Children's National Hospital published best practices on how researchers can study the impact of puberty suppression on trans youth um, and their uh, brain development. Puberty suppression, in which trans youth can delay the impacts of puberty, which you know may be contrary to their gender identity, is a relatively new treatment that researchers say requires careful and coordinated study. I think this is the kind of uh, like behind the scenes geeky um, type stuff that I love because you know, it's not as um, as glamorous as a study that, you know, shows um, some big disparity or some new medical development. But it's really important that the the growing number of people who are working on LGBT health research um, are, you know, 
coordinating that and, and following, um, you know, developing emerging um, best or promising practices where we really don't have a lot of those since, since 10, 20 years ago, there was, you know, a tiny fraction of the research being done that there is today. Even a few years ago, when I started this roundup, you know, there were weeks where I really had to dig for news and for new research that was interesting. And now, you know, we, we constantly have stuff coming out and that's wonderful. Um, but seeing this kind of thing where, you know, people are coming together and saying, okay, here are some guidelines. Here's how we can work together. Here are some best practices to follow. Here's how to use common language so that we can compare studies and, you know, compile data and, and have it be comparable between one study and the next. That's great. That's the kind of stuff that's really going to advance our knowledge of LGBT health and trans health in particular. Well, that's a wrap on another week of our LGBT wellness roundup, a kind of long-winded one, but to be honest, I worked a lot on um, Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act when that came out, and we were trying to convince the Obama administration in my job to include protections for LGBT folks, so I kind of got on a roll with that one, and the roll just kept on going. So thanks for sticking with me until the end. Uh, I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast if you're not already, and again, if any of these stories are of interest and you want to read them for yourself, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org where you will find uh, all of our previous roundups in written form with links to all these great articles that we are discussing. Thanks again for listening and take care.